This is Dr. David Pomeroy, your host on ADHD Focus. I wanted to remind you that the show is not intended to be a recommendation for diagnosis or treatment of any condition for any specific person. Please consult your mental health professional or doctor managing your ADHD or mental health issues about any diagnosis or treatment-related information that you hear on the show. Refer your ADHD provider to the show if he or she would like more information. Thank you. Hello, this is Dr. David Pomeroy, your host of ADHD Focus, the podcast that is devoted to dispelling myth information out there about ADHD and all the things that go with it. My guest today is Ellen Brayton, a psychologist in the Boston area who is also an associate professor of psychology at Harvard Medical School. Her, she has written a book about processing speed, which is our um, subject for today, Bright Kids Who Can't Keep Up. Dr. Brayton, thanks for being on the program. Thank you for having me. This is my favorite topic to talk about, so I'm glad to be here. Great. Then there's uh, the, the whole concept of time is also important, which I can talk about. Yeah, but. yeah time, the concept of time is a, a big one for anybody with ADHD. It's, some people call it a time warp. It's Someone with ADD think I'm doing this for just half an hour, and no, it's been two hours. Um, so having things like certainly analog clocks where you can see the hour and the minute hand and rather than a digital clock where you have to do some math to figure out um, how many more minutes till 11 o'clock. If it says 10.20 or 10.40, well, it's only 10. I don't have to worry about 11 yet. And there's a, a difference right, right. there. Um, and having those which countdown timers or ones where the, the red disappears as uh, the task time gets closer to, to ending. Um, one mom came up with, uh, I think, a great idea. She says, okay, there are songs that kid really likes and knows pretty well. So you set that as you need to have your teeth brushed and your face washed by the time the song ends. And child knows, oh, yeah. I'm, I'm getting into toward the end because it's this set of words or whatever else um, so that it can help the child develop a sense of, I really got to make sure I'm getting through the, get the toothpaste on, get going with the brushing and not focus on how evenly is the toothbrush or the toothpaste on the brush. Um, so there's that sense of elapsed time that's built in there. That's such a great example. And it, it's funny because those of us who have been in the ADHD world for a few decades, as mm -hmm. I, I shouldn't speak for you, but I have, never really gave much thought until recently about the actual experience of time. And mm. we, I, when I think of how many kids I suggested time management for who never really understood the concept of time, because what you're talking about is time perception, and talking about fixing is time perception. And it, it's really only been recently that we've realized that 
people with ADHD have trouble with time perception, meaning uh-huh. they don't, like you said, they don't necessarily know what 10 minutes feels like versus 40. It all feels sort of the same. And, and then we've also, on top of that, sort of stopped teaching time in the way that we very concretely did it back when I learned it in school. It was part of your math lesson. And now it's, you know, oftentimes, well, they can read an analog clock, they'll be fine. It's, it's not the same as you said. And so we're asking kids to manage time, to, to put things in a calendar, to manage something they don't understand. It's like asking someone to read when they, they can't see. And so uh-huh. it's, it, doesn't mean that, it doesn't mean that they can't learn to manage it, but first we've got to get them the right sort of glasses so they can see. And, and that is really giving them that sense of, of what time is and learning it as, like you said, an analog clock, teaching it, using things like examples, like you said, I even recommend timing things just for fun during yeah. your day. Like how long does it take yesterday to get home from school? Today we had traffic. So it took, you know, 40 minutes, whereas yesterday it took 25 minutes. That's why I'm feeling frazzled because it's, you know, this is what it, you know, these two different mm-hmm. time periods feel like. Yeah. I, the, the turning it into a game of, how long do you think it's going to take us to get home? And no, it only takes 20 minutes and it took a lot longer. What do you think, what came up that it took us longer? Um, Or how long do you think it's going to take you to um, empty the trash and feed the dog? um, If you remember to pay pay the dog attention by the time the trash gets done. Um, And, then get a sense of that. So how does, and this idea of having two, two things to track at once, how does working memory fit with processing speed? Are they kind of two different things or do they interweave? This is an excellent question. And it, they are overlapping, but definitely separate. So working memory, as you know, but I'll just, you know, yeah. say it just so that we're all on the same page about this, mm-hmm. it's, it's our brain scratch pad. So it's that short-term memory. It's not that long-term memory that you, know, you have a child who can remember every detail from a family vacation three years ago mm-hmm. but can't remember a phone number. That's working memory is that short-term memory that is, like the example you said, oh, when we get home, I want you to take out the trash and feed the dog before you start your homework. That's that short-term memory, that sort of brain scratch pad. Now, working memory and processing speed are, are two different things, and we measure them differently, but they influence each other. So, for example, if you have poor working memory, that's going to slow down your ability to process information, even if you don't have a primary problem with processing speed, and mm-hmm. vice versa processing speed might affect your ability to take in a certain amount of information. So, for example, it's common for people to have who have, like, let's say, poor working or poor processing speed to not have great working memory because it's, you know, if you're only able to take in a certain amount of information at any one time and, and the time is ticking away, you're not going to get all of that information encoded Mm -hmm. um, efficiently. 
so there there are you know it's it's good to know when a child has both working memory issues and processing speed issues and a lot of people with ADHD do have those both of those as a relative weakness in their profile it's it for you know some it's, it's part of the diagnosis in a way they're they're both related yeah. to attention and so it's it, it, it's not uncommon and there are ways to work around both so it the important thing is knowing if it's one or the other or both yeah the the example you gave of uh they're in the car and getting close to home okay when we get home remember to empty your trash feed the dog and then you can start homework and the child is is trying to okay at home and then trash and dog and what was it so processing all right. that amount of information at once it gets jumbled up and the dog's out of luck um, but it's not again because the child forgot it they didn't even get it really registered in there in the first place whereas working right. memory is they heard all of those but they they lost the third and fourth one because in the process of doing the first two those didn't now they're you know seeing something else on the way back from emptying the trash and they are off onto looking at that they didn't even occur to them that there's something the next step to do so having this is where parents could realizing that either one is is uh, leaky or not going well look at okay when we get home then emptying the trash is the thing I'd like you to do so there are just two things to track and then yes once the trash and then come back to me after you've emptied the trash that's when it's the feed the dog and then we'll look at the next thing come back from feeding the dog all right let's get started on your homework <clears throat> so it's yes that's, that's exactly right it's and sometimes we used to use the metaphor of like a cassette tape and an answering machine that for some people their working memory is just a very short amount of tape on that answering machine but that's become antiquated but i wish i could come up with a better yeah. one but you know some people just have a long you know a lot like you know they can just naturally remember 12 numbers in a row without a problem where some people their span is only four or five and when you transfer that and that's how we would one way we would measure working memory on tests is by giving them numbers to remember and then having them tell them back to us forwards and backwards or in order and and some people just don't have that big of a span of memory and mm -hmm. so you can't expect them to be able to remember all those things and we think numbers are, are easier than remembering phrases and also the stress that might come with what somebody's asking you to do can also affect working memory you know don't forget mm -hmm. to feed the dog when you get home and you just you know the child's realizing I never fed him before we left uh, for school yeah. you know they, they, they there are things that go through kids minds that can also affect their ability to even focus on what you're saying so yeah, and um, I think maybe a, I'm not sure it's something even now with computers people realize but to say well you're 
your RAM, your random access memory, you only have 250K, but you really need a full gigabyte. And so you can only yeah. handle 250 at a time. Um, and that kind of puts it into a number. Uh, I remember my first computer, an old compact, had a floppy disk, and it was a great advance when your disk could hold 500K instead of 125. You didn't have to keep on changing disks as much. Um, yeah. So that that amount, that working memory is kind of how much space do you have? Um, that's a, a good way to look at it. So yeah, and and I also think too yeah. that they can that can be affected by what's going on at the same time. So that mm -hmm. that you know computer analogy it sort of depends too on you know well it doesn't really but you know it depends on how much sleep we've had that can affect our mm -hmm. you know memory storage or what we ate or our blood sugar all of that can also keep that in sort of a from you know, sort of fluctuating. So sure, sure, and I think um, it it can be easy to look at. Boy, he's really grumpy every afternoon, and um, is it his medicines wearing off, or uh, he's just upset as his sister? Well, let's see. What did he have for breakfast? Did he have much for lunch? Maybe his blood sugar is low by three thirty, yeah. or he really didn't sleep well. He's not getting to sleep. Um, easily, so six hours of sleep is not going to work for a nine-year-old. Um, so does we need to concentrate on the the sleep part. And uh, getting back to one thing you said, we need to look at a number of things simultaneously. Um, and I've I didn't know I was going to have to be so much of a sleep expert when I started working with ADHD, oh. but that's a really common problem. So. Sleep is so foundational to memory and mental clarity that looking at sleep patterns as well as the processing speed and um, all those, so they, they all weave together. Absolutely. Looking at, at school, kind of shifting from home to school, what are the, um, I think, grades or the teacher's comments, um, how how are parents going to know it's it's the timed math test that they're not doing well, but gee, at home he can do all these things. You know, I think that in that case, a good evaluation is what's necessary. But probably before that, a really good conversation with the teacher, because oftentimes teachers do have good ideas about what might be going on. And in the case that you just described where the child seems to do fine at home but can't do it at school, that might be, a, you know, a, a totally different issue than processing speed. It mm -hmm. might have to do with anxiety. It could have to do with, you know, something else that's going on in the class that's interfering with the child's ability to, to do that. Um, but also I have to say, too, that sometimes, although I, I totally believe that parents are the best, the very, very best uh, source of data that mm -hmm. we as professionals have, but sometimes they're not always aware of how much 
what what seems like a child is doing well at home doesn't always translate into school because parents don't always realize how much support they're actually giving the child at home. And I'm bringing this up too because I'm I'm hearing this a lot from parents who've said, my goodness, I did not realize how much support my child needed at school. And so they, they might say, well, you know, he seemed to do fine on his homework with me, mm-hmm. but now that I see that he has to do a lot more of this and has to be able to do it in the context of a class, and I'm, I'm watching this, you know, I'm able to look over his shoulder while he's on Zoom, I'm just appalled at what's going on. So, so sometimes parents tend to, again, not realize how much support they're actually giving to their child. And mm-hmm. that, so that's, that's where a conversation with the teacher is, is the first thing. And this, this is really interfering with a child's ability to learn or progress in school. Then I think an evaluation might be a, a good first step. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, um, I think that, you're, you're right, teachers are going to have a sense of, you know, this child can do pretty well in one area and number or areas with math and numbers, for instance. But when it comes to the time multiplication test, boy, they don't get anywhere with it. Or they can see that the child gets really anxious and upset. And certainly one way I see that, that can be misinterpreted at school, younger kids don't, they can't put into words, well, that I'm really anxious, so I need some time to slow down. Um, And instead, they get frustrated and angry, so they get labeled a behavior problem because they're getting angry. And that's an expression of frustration that may come out of anxiety I couldn't do well on this last time we had a math test. Here we are at a math test again. I need some time to shift from we were just doing reading. Now you have to do math. Um, so that's another factor to to look at. I don't think kids go to school thinking, okay, how can I get the teacher and the principal really upset today? <laughs> they they want to do well, and they get anxious, no, and their emotions kind of take over. I think that's exactly right. I, I think that this this area is more than any other area I hear from parents the word lazy. And I've even seen the word lazy put on on papers given back to students from teachers. Like, mm. oh, you didn't finish this. Lazy. Like, like wrote, wrote the word lazy on there um, in their feedback. And... I think it, this, this sort of slow processing speed looks like it's a behavior issue from the beginning. And then when you mm-hmm. add on things like you described, anxiety, oftentimes when kids are anxious, they don't even know what they're feeling, let alone have words to describe it. And so what comes out is just anger. And mm-hmm. so we interpret it as, like you said, a behavior problem when really it, that's, you know, we're fixing the behavior problem or we're, you know, we're, we're um, I don't know, just trying, trying to control to behavior the... problem when it's, yeah, exactly, when it's really mm-hmm. the underlying issue that caused the child to behave that way, and we're mm-hmm. not always addressing that. So, you know, you brought up a, a, a good point, though, because I had mentioned before that there were sort of three A's of processing speed, this, um, you know, accept, 
and accommodate, but then also this idea of advocate, which I didn't talk about, but, but you're, you're sort of bringing up a good uh, issue with that, that one of the things you want to make sure you're instilling in your child is just a sense of who they are, and not in a pejorative way, not in a, oh, you know, it takes you forever to get everything done and you're slow, or, mm. but to say, you know, you're one of those kids who, who's sort of a deeper learner rather than a, you know, sort of surface and quick learner. And, and sometimes that can be, you know, can cause you difficulties. And so what you need to learn to do is to just be more aware of what's going on and ask for help, ask for people to, you know, additionally say what you, what you think you missed or to even just say, boy, things are going along really quickly here. I think I need a minute for myself, or can you repeat what you just said? Those sorts of things that we can really help instill in kids a self-awareness. When really, you know, all of the stuff that, that you and I do in terms of treatment, really outside of just making sure kids aren't, you know, a, a danger to themselves or others right. and, and treating their most significant things, but the, the rest of it is really finding out who you are. And so this presents an opportunity, knowing this about your, your, your child, presents an opportunity to really understand yourself better. Mm-hmm. And so in that way, I think it's, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a wonderful way to kind of talk about what did you need in that situation. And, and you know, parents need to be their child's first advocate, but as time goes on, you want, you know, you've got to advocate for your child. Teachers have to advocate, but then also you want to be able to um, have your child be able to advocate for him or herself. I, I like um, the way you phrase it, that a parent might say, you know, you're a deep thinker. You want to uh, really understand things, and that takes time. Instead of saying, well, you know, you go slow, so you have to figure out how to go faster. Phrasing it as this is a positive, this is a strength that the idea that also it's okay to ask for help. It doesn't mean you're weak or just because other kids don't ask. You can do this because that's what you need. You need some time to think it through. So maybe uh, helping a kid understand that when you get feeling nervous and and uh, worried that may be your signal that you'd like some help right exactly yes sort of that kind of like check your check your gut right now you know how mm-hmm. is it how is it that you're feeling and, and to be able to kind of walk away a little bit too so it that's the accept this is the way it is and then help the child understand that and then that's also where the accommodations get uh, and I think a uh, a conversation with the teacher other than just the formal 504 accommodations show up to uh, so the teacher has awareness that okay this child needs some time to shift and be able to even just notice that oh yeah this is the signal he's not quite sure what to do next uh, that I can go over and help him or ask someone else to say help him find that page in the book or whatever so there is that support or just asking do you need some help so that teacher awareness child's getting some attention that oh 
the teacher saw that I was having a hard time. So it ends up being a positive spin cycle instead of a, a negative one. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, there's an emotional cost to every day thinking that you are always behind and you are oh, yeah. never, you know, the first one done. And, and, and that's, you know, oftentimes we find ourselves treating those issues and not acknowledging what the, the actual mm-hmm. difference is and how we can appreciate that. Yeah, when I could think of what the child might be thinking of is, how come you guys keep on telling me I'm not able to do it? Or why do you keep after me? Can't you figure it out? Is a child right. needs help from a parent figuring out this is how you tie your shoes or whatever. And it might seem to them as you're not trying to help me. You're just asking me to do things that I can't do. And I tell you I can't. And you just tell me to go faster. So that's where that, yeah, that emotional cost. And a lot of times when I see a child, maybe it's now they're in sixth grade, there's so much emotion on resentment and everything else that's been going on for a while, both parents and child, um, they need help sorting that out first because that's getting in the way of, uh, gee, I, okay, I told him the one thing at a time, but he hasn't figured it out yet. Yeah, but it's only been five days. <laughs> they aren't going to figure yeah. all that out yeah. right away. Um, so there are a lot of different uh, different things that uh, are there. You bring up a really good point, though, it, this, this idea of speeding things up. And that is the number one question I get from parents. And even people who say, well, yeah, I read your book, but, you know, you didn't tell me how to speed up my child. And there really aren't ways that we know to speed up anybody. It's, it's as if saying, you know, squint harder, you'll see better. It's, yes. it's, not, it's not something that, that we can necessarily do. And, and I, am, I totally understand where parents' frustrations are in that because it's, you know, you, you see this, but I think you've got to, in sort of the way that you were just describing, acknowledge that this is hard and the life, you know, the world we live in is making this what might have not been a problem 50 years ago now is a big problem because of how, you know, our world is and really accepting the fact that there isn't, you know, we don't have a magic pill. We don't have a computer program. There isn't just that one thing that will speed things up. I wish there were. And if somebody came up with that, I would be, talking about it all the time, but, but there's right. not, and it's, it, it's a complicated it, thing, and it, there's a societal and a, you know, natural, you know, some people are just naturally fast at talking, and it, sometimes that can get them in trouble, and then there are people who aren't, and that combined with our current educational system and the world in which we live and how many things there are to keep track of, it's kind of a perfect storm, but to, to you know, we don't, we don't have a pill that's going to solve that. Right, right. And some people, I think, figure, okay, great. Now you're going to be on medication and things are going to all settle out. No, you still need right. to have the song to help the brushing the teeth, the one thing at a time. Um, well, we've covered a lot of ground and we're getting toward the uh, end of um, what we can fit into uh, a show. So 
looking at the accept, this is the way your child is, slower processing, accommodate what you can do at home, which can help the, under, help the teacher understand, but also get information from the teacher, and then advocate, not only parent advocating for the child, um, but child learning how to do that, and sometimes the teacher advocating um, for the child, maybe toward the parent or toward the, the doctor so the clinician can understand what's yeah, going yeah. on. Um, my guest today has been Dr. Ellen Brayton, who has written a book on processing speed and how it, for some people, that's just how fast the gears turn in their brain. Uh, Bright Kids Who Can't Keep Up is her book. And she's been a great help, and it's uh, wonderful to have had you on the show. Thank you so much for having me. This is Dr. David Pomeroy on ADHD Focus, and uh, we'll hope that when you have questions about slow processing speed, you can uh, get Dr. Brayton's book. You can listen to this podcast and ask questions of the teachers and the clinicians that are helping you with your child. Thanks a lot for listening, and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you.